Come on, come on, come on, come on. Pay your dues and sew your name patch on your jacket. It's time for the 27 Club, the world's only podcast about the group so exclusive you have to die to get in. Hosted by 27 Club Fan Club President Pete and Treasurer PJ. Um, it's a little bit bullshit that I have to be treasurer for, uh, this was sprung on me just now. Yeah. I mean, Uh, hey man, look, we gotta have someone, we gotta have someone to take in the dues and to hand out the name patches because otherwise it's just chaos. But I already got 10,000 business cards made up that said PJ Willett co-president and then (laughs) Peter Friesen, uh, as vice president, so... Oh, God damn it. We didn't even have a vice president now. We're like the opposite of the Bush administration. <laughs> exactly. And that's what... It says that on our business cards, too. Yes. If you hate George Bush, you're going to love us. <laughs> For many reasons. That's Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. yeah. It, it is very funny when we get a Twitter follower who is like bio... I think they just think we're the Beach Boys account. Um, mm. But their bio is like, I love America, I love God, and I love Trump. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, why are you listening to our podcast? That's so funny. They probably, I mean, let's be real. Let's not cast a, a really, uh, you know, wide judgmental net. But if they're that stupid, <laughs> they probably think we're the real Beach Boys account. It's true. I mean, right. and one of those things I'm fine with, you know. Yeah. But loving God and loving in America, that's so fucking yeah. cheesy. <laughs> yeah, it is. Get over yourself, man. Um, also, do you think, I just I just thought of this, PJ, but in our current climate, do you think someone in that, from that walk of life, from that, that mental starting place, is thinking Beach Boys boys, are they like the Beach Boys version of the Proud Boys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we wear those dumb kilts or whatever they're wearing. Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. But we love the Beach Boys. We're like the... I mean, Mike Love is already kind of the Proud Boys Beach Boy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's already got that I mean, on lock, so... Yeah. Maybe they just see something with boys on it, and they're like, they're assuming. But I do love boys. That's yeah, what I gotta say, I'm, I'm happy... I'm happy to report, PJ. I've never been further from being a Proud Boy. <laughs> <laughs> and my love of the Beach Boys, their current political views notwithstanding, has nothing to do with that. Yeah, I mean, let me think. What was the closest I was to being a proud boy? And am I the farthest away from it now? Here's the deal. I think probably the year before, if you remember, this is how this is how our world works now, is that we have multiple iterations of white nationalism in recent years to be able to talk about and be like, oh. remember that white nationalist moment? Yeah. So remember the Richard Spencer years? <laughs> I like do. like one year when he was a thing? Yeah. And thank God he's gone. And then he got punched in the face and everybody was like, I think right. it's okay to punch Nazis. And then everybody and it, was like, and it, it absolutely definitely is. is because yeah. we're at a moment where there's a lot of Nazis who need punching. So. Yeah. Um, I think probably a year before that or so, I had the Richard Spencer haircut and then just didn't cut my hair for a while and it grew out and then all of him and the Tiki Torch buddies showed up with that haircut and it was like, okay, we're so we're done with that haircut now. I remember you with that yeah. haircut. Um, yeah. It actually, it was probably a little further back than that, but I did it have- It was. I mean, I had that haircut back when it was called the Macklemore, not the yeah. Nazi haircut. <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly, so. you had that haircut in 2014 and then you just let it grow out. I want to say that's probably about right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Wow, we've been friends for a while, Pete. 
Jay, yeah, we've known each other for years and years, just like, well, not like the members of the 27 Club. No. I guess they've known each other for years and years in heaven. That's true. Or the hell. 27 Club of Heaven. If you're Brian Jones. Yes, right. They're all up in heaven, and then he's just in the basement. The big old Victorian on Haight-Ashbury, they live in up in heaven. Yeah. He's just in the basement. He's in the garage. Which is fine, because that's what he prefers. He's a little mole man. Yeah, exactly. He's just pre- to pretend he's uh, he's visiting Pooh Bear down there. <laughs> um, speaking of our current political climate, I guess I wanted to let our listeners know, um, and this is very topical, so I apologize that this episode's going to come out probably six weeks after anyone gives a shit, but we, look, we stand with Neil Young and, and Joni Mitchell. This is true. We obviously, we, <laughs> I can't even do that. We are not, we're, we do not stand with Joe Rogan. <laughs> I was going to say we respect Joe Rogan's right to do this podcast, <laughs> but I don't even, I don't care. No, I think his, no. he should be deplatformed. No. I fully it's, think that. You know, it's, it's fine for Joe Rogan to, you know, lose, to either lose his, uh, his sponsorship deal and, or to be forced into being less, um, problematic. Yeah. Being less, uh, here's my thing. Radical maybe would be the right word. I think it's awful that he's a radical fucking misinformation spreader i think that's bad that's not the worst thing about his podcast though the worst thing about his podcast is that is the people that listen to it right which i think i that's that's why he should be deplatformed i don't care if he stops spreading misinformation i I just don't care about that i just want him to not have a podcast so that yeah assholes stop having (laughs) something to talk about for real for for the uh, for the current you know country that we live in it's how like it's a ticking clock to when he actually runs for office somewhere right like oh jesus he christ he lives in texas right like it's only a matter of time till he's like a mayor of a texas town or like is in the texas he'd be better than ted cruz though <laughs> i mean look pj he's at least going to listen to both sides <laughs> He'll you know, have Jordan really Peterson on one week and then Bernie Sanders Rogan. the next. You know, but yeah, he probably would be like better than a lot of actual Republicans. In it. But anyway, um, so look, like we stand with Neil Young and Joni Mitchell. We we looked into removing our podcast from Spotify. We emailed Spot. We emailed um, Joe Spotify um, to figure out how to do it, and they emailed back saying. Uh, we called an emergency board meeting to figure to talk about it. Our board of directors vetoed your podcast leaving because we're too important to Spotify. Yeah. It turns out is what we were told. Like we're the the platform just would be a shell of itself without the Beach Boys Boys podcast empire on it. Yeah, and like we unfortunately we did sign a contract not quite as lucrative as Joe Rogan's. It pays us about five dollars an episode. Split evenly between us, even though you're the treasurer mm-hmm. and I'm the president. But well, I don't know. About split that, but... evenly. <laughs> I'm a, you know, I'm a benevolent president. You know. Um, <laughs> so they, but they did say like this contract is too important to us. We will sue you if you leave. And that five dollars has not added up to enough to pay for lawyers over the last couple of years. So That's true. And we've <laughs> run out of. Peter's parents shut off his credit card. Uh, oh yeah. If you've heard I mean, the quality happened, decline, if y'all remember that happened mid Beach Boys Boys run. They just realized this was. Yeah. My dad, you know, my dad sat me down and compared it to his many yachts, where he said, "A, a yacht, Peter, you have to know, as a man who's owned many yachts, they really just should call them money pits." <laughs> <laughs> 
is what they he should. said. And then that was, yeah. They do be calling then, it that. Yeah. So, um, you know, we got, we got cut off pretty early. Well, and, you know, with Spotify declining our departure, I, I get it. Departure, because yeah. they would, they would lose such, they wouldn't only lose the 27 Club, the Rolling mm-hmm. Stone Studs, the Beach Boys Boys, mm-hmm. but they would also lose our, stable of podcasts such as yes, the joni exactly. mitchell men or the neil young youngins which is if you want to listen to their yeah. music on spotify you still kind of can yeah just through yeah yeah the neil yeah. young youngins is up and coming uh it's yes. it's our nephews uh six and eight Look, respectively i'm not gonna say young sheldon is not an executive producer on this project but young sheldon's an executive producer on this project and it's it's aimed purely at the youth of america who are interested in what if children <laughs> of stars talked about neil young on a podcast exactly yeah but it's pretty great it's actually the kids of the guys who do the youtube videos where they've never heard famous songs before (laughs) (laughs) those guys are only like 22 i think but they have kids already and those like those they started young yeah yeah, they're like we've never heard neil young we'll start a podcast (laughs) yeah it's pretty good it's yeah i mean it's our top earner at this point yeah yeah those kids are getting paid way more than we are so yeah, so I, you know, I just really, I got to let, I know our listeners have been clamoring to know what our response is to this whole situation, and I guess it just boils down to we tried, but Yeah. we simply, simply, we simply can't afford to do it with Spotify, yeah. <laughs> so it's just not going to work, man. It's just not going to work. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, and I will not, and here. I can't get rid of my Spotify membership either because that's what we use to play the music for this podcast. Where else am I going to get it ad-free? Where else are we going to get lower quality ad-free versions on the internet? I don't exactly. Know. And, you know, I don't want to have to take my time, my precious, valuable time, mm-hmm. to go and steal music that I'm never going to listen to again off the internet. You know? Yeah. It's a legitimate... It's a legitimate problem for us out here doing podcasts on musicians. When you don't know if you <clears throat> like this album yet or not, why are you going to spend the time ripping it if you can just hit that little search button on Spotify exactly. and find it in two seconds? Exactly. So um, I guess what it boils down to is we agree with the sentiment, fuck Joe Rogan. Um, oh, sure. And uh, Spotify. Pretty much anyone who participates in the current uh, <laughs> belief that, you know, Facts and reason and logic are not the are not the current way to go or, or the yeah. way to go. It's I have no sympathy or time for you really at all. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, let's get out of this political hole we've dug ourselves. It got Peter, a little dark. It's I, yeah. I gotta say, I, I wrote that quick, down like a too. week ago just as a because I thought it'd be a funny topical bit, but it just really made me a little depressed more than anything. <laughs> That's yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. I did for like 20 minutes go, should I do Apple music instead? Like I've ne- I just <laughs> never have done it, you know? Yeah. And it's like, Oh yeah, they do have like, you know, the lossless versions, you know, like just, it's probably worth trying. I think the first time I looked at Apple music was like years ago when they didn't have the library that Spotify did. And I just yeah. immediately went, Oh, I'll stick with Spotify. So looked at it again. So I signed up for the free trial, like started downloading a couple albums and then immediately realized why I, I, I just cannot do Apple Music, no matter how good it is. Because in your phone... It, it looks the same no, as the ones you have downloaded. There is, no, there is absolutely no way to tell if you own the music or not in your yeah. phone. There is That's why I don't do it. Yeah. It's so fucked up. 
where it's like just yeah. even so because like they have a little downloaded check mark on the top right but then the music i own it's like technically if you do you can do a thing where like you can stream music from your itunes on your computer yeah so on my phone it still says that the music i own is like downloaded because it can do that you know it can be not downloaded right. as well even if i own it so the only difference is that under like the albums that have the lossless or like apple um you know apple special eq mixing or whatever like they'll have that little logo underneath them but it's like what if an album doesn't have that then there is there's quite literally no way to know until i pull up the itunes on my computer to then look at like that library instead yeah i think this is only a problem for you and i though i know but it's i don't know but it is annoying it's so annoying some googling to see like if there was a way for it to tell you or not or like if i was doing something wrong and you know agree it's a small it's a minority but i did find a couple like apple support threads online about people being like i can't no i can't do that like it's just too much to to not know what i actually own or not yeah that it it bugs me um so i'm glad that fuck out of me and i didn't realize that's what it was until i started dating melanie because that's she uses apple music because she nice doesn't really care um about yeah. like what yeah. music she owns or anything because nobody does like yeah i kind of it's wish a niche I group care, i know but i do i care a lot um well yeah so there's another reason apple music sucks too is that i actually don't know if you have to do this with apple music but i like i downloaded an app to like transfer spotify playlists because i thought that would you know because i have a ton of playlists in spotify and then it made you do a thing where you like sync your phone with apple music so like I don't even know exactly what it does, but what it did for me that I hated is like on my iTunes, it's still all correct, but it immediately removed my sorting preferences of sorting by last oh, name. Yeah. So everything just switched to first name and then it removed any custom album art that I did and just switched to the Apple music album art. So it basically just melds your owned music with the way that Apple music would do it. So it really does just like erase the line between your library and Apple's library. Yeah. And you couldn't see what you actually have, like what your actual library is, unless you cancel Apple Music and then it goes away. It's so fucking weird. I have spent too many hours getting my uh, my iTunes library to yeah. be like perfect with the exact right album yes. art, with yes. like the right year put in everything, mm-hmm. to where like I can- I cannot if even if there's a chance that it's gonna meld and then not go back when i like i don't want to risk it yeah i know so then i looked into title for a half second but then i like did a search on a couple artists because i'm like like title for sure has a smaller library yeah and i did a search on like a couple lesser known artists i like and they only had like one album by them and it was no that's no way to go i gotta do like spotify is pretty much complete and it's it's hard to leave that Maybe we'll start doing Pandora and then just hoping that it's it's right. It whatever we day. play, yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, we can get back into it. <laughs> um. So Pete, this I I this album that we're talking about today is self-titled Big Brother and the Holding Company. Yes, yes, yes. Um, is the most unaware I've been of your opinion of an album. I ha- I oh. have no idea what you're gonna think about this yeah. album, and I think it might That's be really mutual. Yeah, um, I think you might be right. Th- I mean, like, I also I feel like I more often 
No, that's not true. I think I'm more often just wrong about your opinion. I will think I know that you like or dislike something, and then you will surprise me. Right. I think I know what you'll like about this. I I think we will have the same opinion on this album, actually. And I have no idea. Like, I don't have a good guess either way. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Well, I'm excited. I know what I think about it. Yeah. Well, let's get into... uh, I mean, we're... Obviously, a hot start here on the episode. Just so many important, funny, topical things we have to cover. (laughs) But we are starting a a new artist today. We are jumping into the career, the life and career of Janis Joplin, the uh, next sequential member of the 27 Club to die, (laughs) which is a really sad way to put it now that we talk about it that way. And also, since we're not really doing it sequentially, it doesn't... That's true. That's kind of true. We're, we just we literally just jumped out of order for Alan Wilson. So, um, so Janis Joplin, the first of just two female artists we're going to talk about. There's technically more if you look at the like very wide Twenty Seven Club, but as we've said many times, we're just focusing on the more famous members. So she's one yeah. of two, two f- women, and this is tough for me. I mean, I don't know how you're feeling about it, but just I'm kind of a rule follower, and our fan club door the door on the treehouse in my backyard mm-hmm. that we're recording in definitely has a no girls allowed sign on it. So like, I don't know how to handle this exactly. Yeah. Cause well, I want cooties. He, she's a woman, not a girl. That helps. You know, I, I asked my mom about it <laughs> and she said that, you know, she didn't raise, she didn't raise me to be that kind of man. Um, Although I don't really know what that means, but I'm not on Twitter. Uh, but I guess, you know, in the 21st century, maybe we just got to say everyone's welcome to the 27 Club, no matter your, well, your gender or anything. I don't want to say everyone because Eric Clapton is not welcome. <laughs> well, he's too old now. That's true. I was going to say, we got to be careful saying everyone's welcome to the 27. It's going to sound a little bit like we're asking everyone to drink some Kool-Aid or something. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but we, we don't discriminate here in the 27 Club, so this treehouse is now open to anybody, anywhere who, who wants, to be, wants if, to be a member. If, if Eric Clapton emailed us, I know we're not a big podcast, Pete, but let's say no. he we're is- Possibly a, the smallest podcast in existence. That's and true. I know it's, a, it's a tight race between the 500 bottom podcasts on Spotify, but- Hey, 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 we're like three in Bangladesh in comedy. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the comedy iTunes rankings, we're in a lot of weird countries. We're almost number one. Yeah. (laughs) Right after Joe Rogan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But if Eric Clapton emailed us and asked us to be on the podcast and we knew it was actually him. Yeah. Would you say yes? That's a great question. You know, I saw today, this brings up more podcast. God, so much to talk about with podcasts. <laughs> I saw today that the most recent episode of Conan Needs a Friend, if you're aware of that podcast, yeah, where the premise started as Conan O'Brien had people on who had been guests on his late night show. And the idea was, I'm going to actually kind of talk to you and get to know you as like a person to person instead of us just interviewing as part of my show where it was like pretty surface level, you know, and they would, you know, just spend five minutes out on the thing and then say hi afterwards and then go home. 
but the most recent episode has Justice Sonia Sotomayor on it. And while I'm sure like there's a lot of good to come from that conversation, it still just feels a little bit like someone from their team either reached out to Conan or they reached out to, to them. But it was just like, fuck, they said yes. This has nothing to do with the comedy, like <laughs> kind of laid back vibe of the show. But we yeah. have to have her on just because she said yes, right? Where it just feels a little crazy. Kind of like, again, like it was, I'm sure it, a good show and everything. But like when Obama comes on WTF, it's like, yeah. obviously, like if they say yes, you got to do it. But at the same time, it's like not at all what the show is. Is, yeah. Like it's just him talking to like, comedians about what it's like you know staying in shitty hotel rooms and stuff or at least that's what it starts as so but i gotta guess i guess i gotta say pj if, if he says yes i think we absolutely have to have him on and then we absolutely have to spend the entire time grilling him about his racism yeah like because that's a bridge we don't need to care about burning because it's you know yeah yeah he, we already don't like him and then yeah we could only get good press from it like yeah. Shitty podcast grills Eric Clapton about exactly. being yeah. a racist. Like we can just, yeah, we yeah. could just email Pitchfork immediately after and be like, look, we got Eric Clapton to talk about a bunch of this shit, you know, like yeah. write a story about us. And then we get vaulted into the stratosphere. And uh, then we become writers for Pitchfork and we become jaded. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then we actually hate all the bands we used to like. Yeah. Um, but then 20 years later, we actually like all of them again. So it's really hard to keep track of. It's a good loop, I think. Yeah. Every 20... Yeah, it's kind of good, because it's like you love something, you give it a little bit of a rest, and then you come back to it, and you're like, actually, this was good. Yeah. <laughs> so, Janis Joplin. <laughs> Scott was, Joplin's uh, grandniece. Exactly, yeah. Born in Texas in 1943. Weird. Same year as Alan Wilson. Hmm. Huh. Wonder if that has anything to do with each other. Eh, doubt um, it. Grew up as a bit of an outcast. Uh, bullied in high school, uh, pretty severely was apparently overweight, which I guess that meant like 160 pounds in the 1950s <laughs> so instead of 140 pounds. I don't know. Normal. you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, had severe acne to the point apparently that it scarred her face and she had to have skin grafts done, which actually kind of explains why Janis Joplin, I always kind of chalked it up to drug use, but she does have a face that looks much older than her age. So, um, so that's kind of always been a thing, but I was just kind of assumed it was that she did some hard drugs and stuff, but I just typed in Janis Joplin's face into Google. And the second thing that came up was Janis Joplin's Facebook. (laughs) Who's who's looking this Um, up? Boomers. So, yeah, like, I guess, you know, whenever you see it's, it's like surprising. She's only 27 because she kind of looks like she's 37. But as we've talked about, everybody looked older in this era too well jim morrison didn't look 27 that's true everybody looked older and then also just there is it is worth kind of like thinking about she was a very much a hippie where like she didn't wash her hair or cut it or take care of it and like was not wearing makeup or anything and so just especially like at the time kind of compared to what other people looked like yeah maybe you know just that was giving her a less youthful appearance but, anyway, but also i just kind of thought that was interesting because i was i was watching some videos of of big brother the last couple of weeks and noticed like her face seemed you know did we talk about this on the podcast i don't remember where everybody does look just older in the 70s and 60s and it might be smoking uh, i think so 
Okay. See, usually, though, I think of it as being because people did wear, like, a lot of makeup and had what now are considered, like, old lady haircuts or old man yeah. haircuts. And so, like, a 24-year-old in college, or it would be younger than that, but, like, you know, a college-aged person looked like they were, like, 35 because they dress. It's like a young person, but dressed how, like, one of our grandmothers would dress, so. I don't agree with that because... Mm. You've seen Jim Croce. You're familiar with his face. Yeah. You would oh, yeah. Ima- you would imagine he died young. at in his sixties. He died at That's thirty. True. Yeah. And like no picture of him in my like unbuttoned denim shirts and jeans, so Yeah. And That's he didn't true. really have he's got a haircut that I would call that I wouldn't think was weird nowadays, like if a kid had it. Yeah. True. Um so grew up in Texas. Texas, I mean this is this is really aged poorly in just the week since I took these notes. Texas in the mid '50s was a real backwards place, and oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> guess it's just a different type of backwards now, but uh, not not very different. Uh, she was apparently called uh, one of the many names she was called when she was bullied was uh, N-word lover. <laughs> oh wow! And uh, she had a really great quote later in her life when she did some interview saying. I was a misfit. I read, I painted, I thought, I didn't hate black people. <laughs> wow. So Texas okay. basically is the same. It's the same. It's the same. Yeah, Texas has not changed. No, un- for oh, so unfortunately. You know when Texas originally wanted to just be their own state and then the U.S. fought a fucking war to make them part of the U.S.? Yeah. What if we just reverse that, you know? Just let them be their own country. Who gives a shit? Not even let them be their own country. Just be like, hey, Mexico. This is all you yours. Yeah. You got to deal with all them gringos, God, though. Nothing would make Texas matter than to be part of Mexico. <laughs> I know, which would be so choice. Uh, so she went to University of Texas for a little bit, uh, like for a year or two, um, because she was like the one weird hippie chick on campus in like 1961. Uh, there was a school newspaper article written about her. Uh, so here's the intro. She goes barefoot when she feels like it, wears Levi's to class because they're comfortable, and carries her auto harp with her everywhere she goes so that in case she gets the urge to break into song, it will be handy. Her name is Janis Joplin. Wow. One so, of those yeah. things is really annoying. Um, I know, right? So she was really into the blues. Levi's? And... In a classroom? <laughs> I know, right? She's really into the blues and beat poetry uh, was, you know, kind of the proto-hippie thing to yeah. be into. Um, and so though she ended up leaving Texas after she dropped out of, uh, university of Texas and hitchhiked to San Francisco, the home of the, the beat movement, Ah. um, where she hung out, became friends with some future famous San Franciscans, including a couple members of Jefferson airplane, um, and recorded her first music where she did some blues covers with one of the guys from Jefferson airplane who we've never talked about. It was a name where I had to double check that. It's not Marty Balin, it's not the other guy, and it's not Grace Slick. It's the fourth person. Ah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, got really into drugs in San Francisco, mostly speed and heroin, and uh, developed a taste for Southern Comfort, the greatest alcohol ever ever blended. I'm surprised she didn't get into that in Texas. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, So... (laughs) It was all just kind of part of the scene, except at some point she started doing meth and dropped down to 88 pounds. First um, off, meth was... I yeah. thought meth was exclusively a thing in, like, the 40s that they gave to pilots, 
and then right. didn't exist again until like the late 80s. Apparently it did. And she, yeah, huh. she dropped down to a... 88 pounds. Amount. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Um, so this was the point in which all of her friends became concerned and they did a very <laughs> 50s, 60s thing and threw her a bus fare party <laughs> to get her back home. Um, wow. So she, she went back to Texas, stopped using drugs, got a you know lame old lady haircut and enrolled in college again to try and kind of get her life back on track. Wow. So, yeah. She, uh, she ended up seeing like a... Uh, I guess it would have been a psychiatrist back then. They didn't really have therapists that weren't psychiatrists. Yeah. Saw a psychiatrist because she wanted to keep singing and she would like drive to Austin on the weekends to sing in clubs. But it was like she wanted to actually stop doing drugs and it was really hard for her to separate that. So she like was figuring out how to do that. She got engaged for a minute, but then it got broken off. Just kind of had a fun time in, in Texas, I guess, trying to make life work. Hmm. Yeah. So around the same time is when the other half of this uh, this group forms back up in San Francisco. So Big Brother and the Holding Company, her future band, uh, start in 1965. Spoilers. Yeah, I know. Okay, we're spoiling her whole life here, including that she's part of the 27 Club. <laughs> um, they started in 1965 as one of the many bands um, – in this like original kind of psychedelic scene in SF who started as house bands for clubs or bars. Ah, this so you have Grateful Dead, Big Brother and the Holding Company, yeah. Grateful Dead, yeah. uh, Jefferson Airplane, the 11th yeah. Floor Elevators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Quicksilver Messenger Service, I think, started as that. Like pretty much every Damn band. It. That was the other one I was Francisco. trying to think of. The 13th Floor Elevators <clears throat> are from SF too, I'm pretty sure. So I know. Um, That's what yeah. I said. Like, I, I literally think every band, because there were so many rock clubs at the time, and they were all, like, so popular that it was, like, they would all have these house bands that would play pretty much, I think, every night they were open, and then it would be, like, one or two nights a week they would have, you know, traveling yeah. show, uh, traveling musicians do a show, and then the house band would just, like, front, or be the first first band on the bill. That's such a 60s thing, is to have a house band. Yeah. Like, I mean, the Beatles in Hamburg, you know? Mm-hmm. They were like, then that's how they got so good. They were playing together every night, right. and then like all of these bands too, like the Grateful Dead. Were it's so it's yeah. such a weird concept now because like nowhere does that. That's not a thing yeah. anymore. It's really just I, th- I've always thought it was basically just a pre like before sound systems were that good, where you could just have a sound system and either a DJ or you know like a computer hooked up to be you just need, playing yeah. music that like would be loud and danceable. That makes so sense. So it's like you needed, you know, a band with amplifiers and all that, you know, just to to have, you know, the music club dancing experience happening. Yeah, um, that makes sense. So you needed that. And then once sound systems and, like, DJ-type things became a thing more in, like, the 80s, then it kind of shifted over to that because it's obviously cheaper, too, um, yeah. than having to pay, play, pay, pay a band. Yeah. Also... So. Um, I said 11th floor elevators, and I feel yeah. dumb about it. I just want to... Yeah, two more. I was, yeah, I missed out by two. You know, they always say they had a couple members who, like, were part of the early iteration, but just, like, dropped out of the band right before they hit it big. And I always like to say they got out of the 11th floor. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was referencing, the fact that yeah. Peter likes to say that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so a big role in the holding company was four people, uh, a couple of guitarists, Sam Andrew and James Gurley. Uh, Peter <laughs> Albin was on bass and Dave Getz was on drums. So like every other SF house band at the time, uh, say it together. They played psychedelic, psychedelic jam rock. music, jam music. Yeah. <laughs> because they were, they had to play all night, every night or, you know, pretty much every night. And, so they had to learn how to jam, and then, you know, like, psychedelic was the, the thing of the, the times. People wanted to dance, but also be able to, you know, drop acid and shit and have a good time there. So Of course. They didn't need no pop music. Um, so they played jammy psychedelic, like every, every group. By 1966, their manager thought they should get a, like, better lead singer, I guess, because I think <laughs> Sam Andrews, I'm pretty sure, was their like de facto singer but for whatever reason they agreed and their manager agreed like we should get uh i don't know a, a better lead singer basically that's going to help our band um and their manager had known janice when she previously lived in san francisco and remembered her and thought her her singing style and everything would be a good fit with big brother mm-hmm. so he reached out to her she said yes but he because they all knew about her like drug problems and it's just really interesting this dichotomy between it being such a drug scene but then also them realizing when someone's overdoing it and like being very cautious about it it's kind of a weird thing um because like he insisted on driving all the way down to texas and he like made her tell her parent like he like walked her into her house to be like tell your parents where you're going how long you're gonna be there like what the deal is i want to like i'll meet them so that they're not freaking out about it um and then, like, drove her to San Francisco directly, like, didn't let her get on a bus or anything just because they were, like, worried. I mean, selfishly for them because they wanted her to be in the band, but then also just, like, worried about, you know, her... Drug habits. I don't know, jumping off the bus somewhere and grabbing drugs or yeah. getting sold some drugs or whatever. So, huh. which is just... It's a really interesting thing, basically. <laughs> it's, you know... It's, it's It's very interesting that they're like, you have a drug problem. Let's take you to San Francisco. Yeah. Well, and then also just, you know, because it's like everyone had a drug, almost everyone had a drug problem because it's like it was kind of during an era still when like doing heroin and stuff was Was still fine. Yeah. It was like not really realized to be a like life, potential life ending thing. I mean, I guess if you OD'd, but it, yeah, it wasn't viewed as being like a thing that was ruining your life as much. Um so it is just interesting that she apparently crossed a line where then like all of her friends who knew her were like, this is actually a problem now. So when she came back up to SF, she really was like committed to avoiding drugs. She like lived with a couple members of the band and some other people in a house, made them promise to not use needles. They could do like other drugs, but the needle type drugs, heroin, meth, you know, whatever she didn't want them to use and like would freak out if they that you know, one like guy with people over who were part of that scene yeah that one guy with diabetes he did not do well in that house <laughs> that's right yeah so uh and then so started singing with big brother in the holding company and i have a interesting quote from sam andrews i'm gonna it's really long so i'm just gonna read a couple parts of it but like very interesting kind of take on them meeting because i think as anyone will know janice joplin pretty much immediately becomes the star of the band and then eventually becomes more famous than the rest of the band and, and goes solo. But it was apparently not like that always. So he says, Andrews, 
uh, we were the established band. We were heavy. We were like one of the best out of, you know, the three or four bands in the city. Um, we're doing this woman a favor to let her come and sing with us. She came in and was dressed like a Texan. She didn't look like a hippie. She looked like my mom. Um, <laughs> yeah. She sang well, but we weren't bowled over about it. It was more like we were really loud and we were bowling her over. Um, and she wrote letters home about how exotic and wild all of it was. Um, and like, now I'm just kind of paraphrasing to get through it. So like, she was really smart and always rose to the occasion, but it took her a while to like learn how to sing with like a big electric, you know, loud rock band. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, now we've got Janis Joplin, now we've arrived kind of thing. It took them like a year or two to kind of figure it out. So, hmm. which is kind of interesting given how, yeah, like she becomes so known for her voice and her confidence in her voice, like taking yeah. over the band basically. That right. It was, you know, not at all like that originally. And she really had to, that is interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. It kind of... So, mm, well, I'll say something about it later. Okay. So when she arrived, though, they did kind of move away from their jammy psych music to a little bit more, I guess, singer-friendly music, you know, more right. actual songs with song structure. They integrated more country and blues because she was more into that. Um, and so, yeah, and tightened up their, their songwriting and musicianship and everything just because I guess she wasn't really interested in standing around and, like, playing a tambourine for 20 minutes while they noodled. So, <laughs> Or at the very that least, I guess they realized. Yeah. Hey, so, wait, she plays the auto harp. <laughs> auto harp and tambourine, I think. Um, like every great lead singer from, Robert, <laughs> from Janis Joplin to Robert Plant. Hey, they play an instrument. <laughs> Me too, guys. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they start touring a lot around this time. Um, I think they're still kind of the house band at whatever club they were at, but they do a ton of touring up and down the West Coast, including and then a little bit into the Midwest. Um, they're still kind of just locally famous. We'll get to it in a minute. But like their first album sells really well in San Francisco, but does not have like a you know national impact at all. Mm-hmm. So they're still pretty much just locally famous. But they get their record contract because they get out to Chicago, which is pretty far for them. Far enough that when they go for like a little weekend thing with a bunch of bands on the bill and the promoter ends up not paying them because the attendance is way lower than they're thinking. And so they just get stranded like they have no way to get back home anymore because they were going to buy their bus or plane tickets or whatever with the money from the show. Um, Like it was just, I guess, for exposure. Um so they get stranded and just kind of hang out there for a couple weeks, squatting with people, I guess, um, and end up meeting a guy from Mainstream Records, which is a jazz label, I think based out of Chicago, um, who wants to get in on this new rock and roll thing and signs them as the first rock band on their label. Hmm. So in order to, so, I mean, they get a record contract, which is good enough, but I think they also get an advance if they record a few songs in Chicago. So then they get the money to, to head back to San Francisco. Yeah. So, um, I think none of those songs they record or none of those versions end up being on the album. I think they re-record the entire thing in LA later, but, um, kind of like yeah, just as a deposit, they recorded a few, I guess. I guess I've, I think it's in my notes later on, but when they, like this guy who signed them produced those like first couple songs. Then when they get to LA, they have like a different producer who just thinks he did a terrible job. So they kind of restart. That um, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So 
there's a lot going on around this time. They move back to San Francisco. They move out of San Francisco for a little bit, which was kind of a big deal. Um, just, I mean, especially in the sixties where it's like, they weren't just like in town all the time. So, but right. they get a house next to the grateful dead up in the mountains in Marin North of San Francisco and, you know, hang out and do the whole, I don't know, I guess mountain hippie communal living <laughs> thing for a yeah. while. She you apparently know. has a short thing with Pigpen McKernan from the grateful dead. Uh, future oh future we'll, member of the we'll get to it Grateful Dead. we will i keep saying this but we will get to this more later <laughs> janice joplin apparently had a thing with literally everybody yeah like like quite literally every person every like guy in a band in san francisco she saw quote unquote whatever that means exactly for a minute like it's pretty wild um so, oh yeah, and then they go down to LA to record the rest of the album over the next, um, the beginning of 67 between touring and, and playing in San Francisco a lot, so. So they record down in LA and Mainstream uh, releases the album. Okay. In August 1967, right around when they perform at Monterey Pop. Uh, which, just like Jimi Hendrix, uh, his famous ah, performance at Monterey Pop, okay. which, yes, sorry. <laughs> I just I really wanted to make sure we we're on the same page here. We're going to have a lot of Jimmies in the 27 Club, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> at least one more. <laughs> so, um, you know, he got a huge boost in, in fame and popularity, especially with promoters and everything. Um, so they do, too. So they're Monterey Pop festival performance actually interestingly their manager no i think actually the band not the manager the band refuses to let the documentary people film them during their first set because they don't they weren't getting paid extra for the documentary they were just getting paid to like play the concert and so they thought well this is bullshit like you're making a movie about us we should be getting paid for that too or we should at least be like signing something to get you know a cut further down the line so they didn't let them record And their manager was really pissed about it because he was like, this is good exposure. Like, you should be. So they crush. Everyone's like, holy shit, they were amazing. Janis Joplin's incredible. Like, we've never heard someone sing like this. All that sort of thing. Yeah. So then they play again later in the festival. And they agree. Their manager convinces them to let the documentary people record. I think they end up just recording two songs that they do. Um, And so... Yeah, so that's you can find those on YouTube. They're kind of fun to to watch, but Ball and Chain. Yeah, I think that's the one that I watched. On the Criterion Collection YouTube channel. That's right. Apparently that's where you can go watch the Monterey Pop documentary. So they agree to let them record and you know they get again just like jimmy they get the immediate monterey pop bump of like other promoters and bands yeah. and fans in the area being into them and like getting a little more famous and then the next year when the documentary comes out they get even more famous from you know the wider public scene seeing them perform and being impressed so they get enough attention from this performance that columbia records wants to sign them instead wants to sign them um and is willing to like buy the rights to their debut album and buy their contract out with mainstream Hmm. to to do it so we'll get to the details of that after this song
by my window, just looking out at the rain. Some came along, honey grand to hold on, and it felt like a ball and shade. Well, all right. <laughs> She's got those very 60s doesn't know how to dance dance moves. Yeah. Kind of like every member of the Mamas and the Papas except for Mama Cast. <laughs> yeah. Um Cause she could actually like dance. She's just kind of shaking around a lot, but it's like not to a rhythm of anything. Right, and like yeah. kicking her feet kinda. Yeah. Which I think it never gets better from what I remember of Janis Joplin. <laughs> yeah. It's all, it sh- well, that yeah. kind of becomes her thing that she just like gets wild on stage, but not in a like, she's an impressive dancer way, but just in a way where she's like whipping her head around. A lot like, like, um, what's that motherfucker's name? Um, does a lot of Beatles covers. I cannot think of his name. Very famous. Oh, man. Um, Oh, Joe Cocker. Joe Cocker. That's who you're thinking. Very similar yes. to Joe Very Cocker. Very similar to Joe Cocker. Yes, I think so. And kind of similar voices. Yeah. Like, they're like white people with like the crazy intense like soul blues voice yes. thing happening. We should do a Joe Cocker podcast. I like that guy. So, <laughs> he's great. He also died. No, he didn't die young. He's he, Is he still alive? He's not he still just, alive, but he, he was lived, old. He was old, yeah. So this song's solid. I, um... Yeah. The one interesting note about this, I didn't really notice this on the YouTube video, honestly, but it was also like, it's a very, you know, old, it's not super high def, so, but apparently them performing was at night, but then whenever they cut to the crowd, it's like clearly during the day. I didn't quite notice this dichotomy as clearly when I watched it, but, so it's because they recorded them playing that second night, and, but then the first time when they couldn't record them playing, they just recorded the crowd, so they like cut in the crowd reactions they Uh. had from the first day. And then the second day, they obviously had a small enough crew that they could only record, like, one thing. So That's very funny. But speaking of Cass Elliot, she's one of the people in the audience they cut to who's like, holy shit, like, gobsmacked about Janis Joplin singing. So, Um, yeah. So, Columbia Records buys the rights to their contract and re-releases the debut album. Um, puts a couple extra songs on it that mainstream for some reason didn't release re-releases some of the singles and they release the cover with big brother and the holding company featuring janice joplin after monterey pop they think that's the the way to go to put featuring janice on the cover so um so kind of a fun note the columbia which was owned by cbs at this time i guess it doesn't really matter but it just i found it either said Columbia or CBS records everywhere. And it was very confusing to me. And I finally had to figure out what the fuck was happening there. And anyway, um, they paid mainstream $200,000 for the big brother contract in comparison, Jefferson airplanes first contract in either the year before or this year was $25,000 with a different major label. And it, that was considered a lot at the time. So it was like a huge swing for Columbia to, and what year was this? K for the rights, 1967, to pay 200k for the rights to this like still pretty unknown band. Um, so hey, wait, I got my inflation calculator out. Yeah. Oh wow, 1.7 million dollars yeah. in today's cash. Pretty good. 
I mean, but as we know from the Stones, like when they sign with whoever in like 1968 or whatever, I forget the details of that contract, but don't they ask for like a million dollars in advance and it was, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it this is it shooting up into the stratosphere in terms of how much people are willing to pay these guys. Yeah. So. Um, so apparently during all the negotiation and like contract signing and stuff, well, there wasn't really negotiation. They wanted them. They're willing to pay an insane amount of money for them. Yeah. But at some point, Janice apparently offered to sleep with the, uh, with the guy who was signing them because she was worried about it being too formal and she wanted to make their relationship more personal. <laughs> so, huh. Yeah. It's also really funny cause she like, she reached out through like the band manager to him. So it was like, like there was some interview I found with the guy who worked for Columbia who was like, yeah. So the manager called me up like when we were in the middle of all the paperwork and I was like, look, so just, I think this is going well. Like, I think we, I think we've got everything figured out here and I know we're just waiting on signatures, but just in case, you know, it would help anything. Janice wanted to let you know, like, <laughs> so he apparently said, no, thank you, but she can, she can give me a kiss the next time we see each other. So good for that guy. Like I know, right? In '67, most dudes would be like, "Yep, uh, yeah, absolutely, exactly, right." I mean, yeah, just <clears throat> wild, ridiculous. So, so the album, Big Brother and the Holding Company. We're moving, moving right along into our famous track by track. We're gonna take a break and come back and talk about the track by track of the debut album of Big Brother and the Holding Company, featuring Janis Joplin. And we're back. Welcome back. Sorry, we're um. My mom brought us um, peanut butter sandwiches and orange juice, so I'm just finishing up our snack that we had in our break. <laughs> and my mom bought me a MIDI keyboard. Oh, nice. <laughs> I assume that's hilarious. For the list, I can't actually hear his keyboard <laughs> through my end of the record, so. But I'm sure it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a great bit that I'm doing. Don't worry. Are you gonna about start it. doing MIDI covers, instrumental MIDI covers of uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company songs? I'm just gonna jam with them, man. So excited, just like the listeners. The best part is it's psychedelic. You can play whatever you want. Given this is like so. the classic electrical setting, so it does not <laughs> fit at all. So, Big Brother's debut album. So, the the mainstream version came out in 67, or August 67, I mean. It was only 23 minutes long, um, which is craziness. Like, I mean, there were, we talked about on the Beach Boys, like, there were a lot of shorter albums back then, but that is. Yeah. That is a. Very it short. It is album. wild. That's like not even worth doing a full twelve-inch LP for. <laughs> like, that's how is that not just on a seventy-eight or some shit, man? That's, that's crazy. true. Yeah. I mean, that is that's the level now that if a band released a twenty-three-minute album, they would have to call it an EP or something, just because people would be pissed if that's the length of an album. So, right. Um. So Columbia, though, like we said, added a few more songs on and got it up to twenty-eight minutes. So still a very short debut, but. Which I was already going to bring up to talk about how short it was, but crazy that it was shorter at some point, too. So, 
That is wild. Yeah. So do we want to go ahead and get into the track by track, the first song, Bye Bye Baby? Let's do it. Bye Bye Baby. Wait, PJ, don't. No, no, no. Come back. We're still recording. Oh, yeah. sorry. I was, I was saying the song is Bye Bye Baby. Oh, bye bye gotcha, baby. gotcha, gotcha. Right. You can see how I got confused. I love how country this is, man. Yeah, uh, that's a really redeeming thing about this album. Not redeeming, I shouldn't say that. Uh, it's charming about this album is that mm-hmm. like a lot of the time, like the psychedelic music we've listened to so far is mostly blues-based, mm-hmm. and it's nice to have like a little twang in there. <clears throat> it is, and it especially is kind of just fun and cool, like, just knowing she comes from texas to be part of this band and like i don't even know if this is true and what this song is but it's just a fun idea that she's like oh let's put a little country in there you know like right i'm wearing my cowboy boots still and everything and... yeah God, her voice sounds so good i think it's double tracked here which we talked about a little bit on alan wilson too it just i really love a double tracked lead vocal man yeah especially with like a more unique voice like this for some reason it just really works for me and nice guitar work i'm i'm a huge fan of this this song and this song is an opener as someone who'd only ever heard little piece of my heart i was like god damn big brother is crazy for what i thought they were this is probably the best song on the album i think i think we're it's up there I'm going to say definitively, love, yeah. in my opinion, this is the best song on the album. I, I guess I'll say for the listener, like, knowing the little, the tiny bit about Janis Joplin that I knew and had heard, I always found her voice just a little too intense and, like, was not a huge... I liked her voice, but wasn't a fan of, like, when she did a lot of screaming and stuff, like... Yeah. And so hearing her voice with it still its roughness and stuff, but singing a song that's so melodic and she has so much, like using a lot of vibrato and just like it's very very nice it's a, and it's a nice uh contrast with itself like it's this really rough voice yeah. but then it's singing like really smoothly and beautifully so yeah yeah I'm, i see what you're saying yeah really into that and it's downhill from there <laughs> It's an easy rider. Well, we're following up again crazily. It's we have kind of another country tune here. We do. I shouldn't say it's downhill because this song is actually pretty good too. I think Easy Rider is really fun. It's it's not a great song, but it's a it's a good song and it's fun again. Just like having these two country songs up top for a band that I think of as being like blues, psychedelic, screaming kind of music. Yeah. So, um, a little uh, peek behind the curtain for the listeners. Uh, while I listened to this album, I had COVID and a uh, fever of about 102. Yeah. So, um, if I change my mind on some of these, <laughs> that might be the reason why. Because yeah. I did not like this song. But now yeah. listening to it, I'm like, it's a pretty good song. Yeah. I would say it's not my favorite, but I really like... So, I actually could not find anywhere. And this might just be bad Googling on my part. I could not figure out whether James Gurley or Sam Andrew is the guy singing on this album. 
nowhere huh. it's there both credited with vocals and I could not find any hey, wait, source Peter, for who the other singer There's is. no soloing going on. This is my time to shine. Okay. <laughs> okay. But all that being uh, all that being said, so I don't know exactly who's singing, but I really like his like country voice on this song though, and I like his like kind of laid back, lazy singing style. Yeah. He's got a great voice for country. He does, man. Like, and it's also just kind of interesting because I was expecting him to be like a. I wasn't expecting anyone else to sing when I was reading about like they needed a singer, so they brought in Janis Joplin. But then he's still yeah. singing like lead a lot and singing with her a lot, and he has a pretty good voice. So I was, uh, I'm just like a little surprised that their manager was so much like we got to ship in a singer for you guys. Maybe they just needed a chick. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think this is a this is a fun one, but we want to get to this intruder. And this feels like what I expected Big Brother and the Holding Company to sound like. Yeah, l- let me take back what I said earlier about it going downhill at that point, because Easy Rider is a good song. I will admit that. This for me is where the album mm, yeah starts to head down the slopes. I, I do not kind of same as easy Rider. i don't i like this song i just don't think it's amazing like i don't like this song i have no problem with this song but it it's a little forgettable for me it's this album forgettable is a perfect word for it yeah this album moves a lot through songs that it's just a lot of songs that sound exactly like they were written and recorded in 1967 yeah. And then, like, even by the next year would have sounded kind of dated. And I think, I wonder if it can you be chalked say up dated. to them you being, You could like, also say boring. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if it's just they were such a, like, jammy band that then when they were like, fuck, we got to write songs for an album, they just maybe ended up doing a lot of what they were hearing from other people, you know, and, like, not it being, could like, be. super original. And I would say the more original songs on here generally do better. But... I don't know, yeah. but then Big Brother on their second album um, that we're covering next week, they do a ton of covers. So I don't know that that's true. Or maybe it is true. They're bad at songwriting, so they just moved to covers. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is where the album for me starts to <laughs> get really generic and boring. It is a little, yes, aside from Janis Joplin's voice, it's pretty generic. Like, it, it sounds like music you would hear in a TV show set in the 60s when they go to like a cool 60s club, but they yeah. don't have the money to license a real song. It would exactly. just be like so they this, just make one this song yeah. with like psychedelic light shows happening. Yeah. yeah. Did, did we talk about the album cover? We did not. It's exactly the album cover to Flowers by the Rolling Stones. It's Yeah, it's very, very similar. It's I mean, it's not their... Oh, it is their faces. Duh. So it's just like, yeah, a big psychedelic thing with Big Brother and the Holding Company and psychedelic like, their faces are the flower, flower letters flower and petals. then yeah it's a flower petal with their faces as the you're right light is faster than sound so this song is the one that every time i listened to it i was like this is such a 1967 song that is so dated now it really sounds like a jefferson airplane song to me yeah nobody because the harmonies like that were very of their time. Yeah. And it's not like the harmonies 
from the Beach Boys where it's like mm-hmm. they were so beautiful and so kind of coral right. that it they like transcend time kind of. These are they This is like yeah, like Jefferson Airplane. You can tell exactly what year this was written. God, it's so it, it's tough to put my finger on, but it is so 1960s. Um, <laughs> like the drums with the tambourine, like on the hi hat, is very 1960s, like of this era. The guitar tone, yeah, like the guitar tone, and then also you talk about this a lot, but just like the way in which it's recorded makes it sound yeah. very of its time. Like it's a little tinny, a little thin. It kind of sounds like like you can hear everybody, but it kind of sounds like they're just in a big empty no room. No depth. Yeah. Yes. Zero depth to yeah. the song. Yeah, it's like they're in a big room playing together, but there's no yeah echo or anything that would come with that. It's just like yeah, no, just they like a weird the, flat the room. mics were as close to whatever they were recording as they could be, yeah. and they were like, "That's the way we're doing it." Yeah, I. This is the first song that I dislike on this album, and we could move is to it, call on. Not me. only is oh, it God. like very dated, it's just not a good song. Yeah. Call on me. A little like kind of soul song, really, here that they were writing. Yeah. Well, baby, it's the same shit for me that where it's like, it, I know what year this was written. If I'd never heard this song in my life, I don't think it's bad though. To me, it sounds like they were like, Oh, we're playing a school dance next week. We gotta come up with something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. For good. those kids to slow dance to. You like this one? Uh, yeah. For people who obviously aren't seeing us, uh, while PJ was giving his opinion, I was just singing along and dancing to this song. This song is fucking beautiful, man. I really. I mean, I'm a sucker for like 50s, 60s ballad type songs, especially when they're like a soul R&B ballad and her voice is so yeah. good and I really love her harmony with again whoever's singing because I love they're doing a real harmony and I like hearing you know her rough voice with this guy's smoother voice and all that and like when she jumps up there to the it's I think this song is perfection personally I couldn't put my finger on it but you you nailed it with how dated this album is and so after two songs in a row where i think that yeah like this one to me it sounds the same where it's like i don't know i i absolutely get that i'm just saying like almost all of my favorite songs of all time are gonna be like 50s 60s like r&b ballads so like like that's where i think like the most beautiful songs are written so this kind of thing is absolutely no and i get i i don't think this is a bad song I maybe just hate the way it was recorded. I can't really put my finger on it, but yeah, like I, I like mean, her, her voice, voice sounds great when it's like in certain parts of the song, it's jumping out like that. Yeah, yeah. I will. I'm. I go far enough to say that Shelby and I listened to this song a lot this week and did a lot of God damn. We wish we knew about this song before our wedding because this would have been like a part of our wedding. We love this song so much. Hmm. So anyway. We'll get to coo Cuckoo. Spelled C-O-O-C-O-O, not like cuckoo clock. Such a 60s reverby clean guitar. And again, I hate this song. A song that sounds more like 
I can't exactly put my like I can't say how, but it sounds more like what I expect Big Brother to sound like. This and yes. Intruder, these are both like, oh, this is what I thought Big Brother would be. And I don't hate them, but I just don't like them that much. No, it 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 kind of feels anxious. Yes. To me, you know what I mean? For sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, having, and like, like sometimes that's like, a really good yeah. thing in a song. Not here, I it's don't like think. It's like surf so. guitar, but it's not like a surf style song. Instead, it's just like yeah, this racing, yeah, kind of. But I don't know. I, I I do. I don't like it. I would say I think her singing saves this song for sure. Like her her voice is really great, and like the melody is not amazing, but like just her singing does it makes this song listenable for me. Whereas without that, if it was just anyone else singing, I think I would, I would not like it at all. Yeah. I mean, yeah, her voice is obviously great. Like, I don't want to diminish that at all by saying I don't like any of these songs. Because she kills it on every single one of them. Yeah. I'm going to go to the next one. A Women is Losers. Once again, such a 1960s song. I, uh... It's that drum beat. Yeah. I love the lyrical content of this song, but I like nothing else about it. Yeah. It's a fun song at the time to, you know, be complaining about men putting you down and everything. Like, that's great. That's yeah. a great song to be writing, but it's not a very good song. I guess I... Yeah, it's just really generic Is sounding. It like the San Francisco sound, quote unquote, like because I feel like every song that I think sounds very Big Brother, I'm like, this could also just be a Jefferson Airplane song to me. It sounds a yeah. lot like anything, like any of the bad songs off Surrealistic Pillow, any of the everything else but the two famous yeah. songs. Like, yeah, it just I mean, like that. I I think that might be it. I think the San Francisco sound or whatever, yeah. I think is just not my cup of tea, really. Yeah, it's. I've never quite put my finger on it though, because then there's bands like The Grateful Dead that are obviously very different in terms of you it's know, true. like they weren't the quote unquote San Francisco sound. And then thirteen, but they weren't trying to make thirteen pop four music. elevators were like kind of similar to this, but still like yeah, better. I guess they were kind of similar to this. I've never heard enough Quicksilver to really know, but yeah, I think this this counts as whatever the San Francisco sound is. Yeah, I don't love it. Blind Man. This was the lead single for some fucking reason. Yeah, and Columbia, I guess, was surprised when it didn't do well. I'm like, dude, make it... I mean, I guess maybe not Call On Me, but it's like, there's like... There's definitely better and catchier and more interesting songs than fucking Blind Man. In my... Here's my thing. If... He hadn't been singing lead on this. I wouldn't have known the song had changed. It's not very good. It, this one, no. this one is pretty bad. I would. You were saying earlier, it like starts for me. It really starts to go downhill after maybe cuckoo or call on me. Like these, yeah. this grouping of songs here in the back half are, are pretty bad to me. Yeah. Um. He sounds a lot like when Kenny Rogers was a hippie. His voice. Yeah. What was his band called? The First Edition. Oh, yeah. We've talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. It does kind of have that. All right. Next song. Solo, 
Down, Down on, on me. me. This one I like a little bit more, but again, it's it just. I really like that part, like that melody. Yeah. But it's it's still kind of a song where once the album's over, I'm not like ah, down on me. I gotta go back and listen to that. Like it's still just kind of forgettable at the end of the day, unfortunately. Yeah. It's a good song though. It, like it's definitely better than the few that have come before I hear. Yeah. Well, it's because her vo- she's like really going for it on this song. I think. Yeah. The drums are a lot better too. It's not doing the drum beat where it's just like. Like they're yeah, doing an which actual I drum beat. Fucking yeah. hate. Yeah. And like he's doing some cool fills and like it's it's pretty good. Yeah. The drums are recorded really bad throughout this whole album though. Yeah. Like even on the good songs, they were not recorded well. No. No, you can tell that it was like a very small label doing their first rock band and all that, you know. Yeah. I'm curious if the next album that they record with Columbia you know, I'm sure with a much bigger budget at a better studio and everything, if that's going to be a lot, if that's going to make a difference. Like, it is a little curious if it's the same it songs, but they're just recorded a lot better. It might be. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, this one's solid, I would say, but let's uh, let's get to Caterpillar. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm a So I like the crawling for your love parts, but then the dumb, I'm a crocodile, I'm a crocodile, is so stupid. Yeah. It's such a, like, kid's novelty tune. Yeah, this sounds like it would be at the church camp I worked at for yes. 10 years. Yes, a thousand percent. It sounds like it's like, and now yeah. make your crocodile arm motion, and now make your caterpillar arm yeah. motion. And like, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, we've talked about, we've had a couple bands, I think, so far that have done, or a couple songs that have been, like, songs for kids that, like, it can yeah. work from a rock band, and they were a thing in the 60s, but this is, this just sounds stupid. Yeah. <laughs> that way says pterodactyl is very funny. Yeah. And again, I kind of, I like his voice, like, he does this country twangy kind of yeah. thing, that it's, it's kind of good, but... It's also insane to me that this song was not called Crawling for Your Love. Why the fuck yeah. is it called Caterpillar? Like, they talk about Caterpillar once and then just move to a million different animals. And then the chorus is Crawling, and Crawling for Your Love is like a better song. Caterpillar, you're like, what the fuck is that song? Yeah. Yeah. It's really odd to me that they didn't name it. Yeah. Or even like Crawling. I think it's catchy, but I also think it's the dumbest song ever. I will say already, though, even when the songs are pretty bad, I really love the the Janice and whoever it is doing like dual vocals a lot. I really, really like that sound. Even just like on the chorus here, where they're just kind of singing together, and I think. I hope she does that even like on some of her solo albums a little bit, just because I like. It. I think it really works for her voice. So. Yeah, I think that this guy singing is Sam. I think it I think is because he's like the true. main other guy. But I just am saying like I couldn't find it written down anywhere. Yeah, this is all is loneliness. Actually, I wonder. I didn't try googling a photo of the back of the LP.
So this is them trying to be psychedelic. Yeah. The bass line's really it sure good. Is. Like I think anyway. You like this. I really like the bass line. Oh, the bass line. Sorry, yeah. I, you cut out on Zoom. Oh, no, you're good. It doesn't say. It just says Peter Albin bass, Dave Getz drums, Jason Gurley, Sam Andrew guitar, Janis Joplin vocals. Hmm. Oh, no, maybe it says underneath the song titles. Let me zoom in more. No, I think that's just the songwriters. Yeah, I don't know. The bass is very good on this song. And I like her voice during yeah. this part. I guess I will say this one's definitely super dated as well, but I like it more yeah. than the other ones for sure. Like the other just totally out of time songs. You like psychedelic music more than I do, I think. That's true. Because I'm more annoyed by this song. Yeah. See, but I find this more interesting just because of I like the groove and like the bass line and the. I think it's probably the same instrument as Canned Heat used uh, that we talked about in the last one, but like the droning kind of thing in the background I like. I think there's. I like the droning in the background and I like her vocal, and maybe mm-hmm. if it was just that, I would be like on board. Yeah. But I don't know. The last time. And this is the last song, right? Yeah. So I think it might switch up because I found another thing that has the song writers and Easy Rider. Um, mm-hmm. The second one, the country tune, is was written by James Gurley. So it like makes sense maybe that he would sing on that one. And then like Call On Me was written by Sam Andrews. So maybe he sings on that one. But huh, I'm not really noticing be. like a significant difference between the male voices on this album. So... But maybe they sound similar. But then, like, Caterpillar was written by the bass player, but it's like, does he sing that? I I just don't know. I don't know. But it doesn't, I I can't find anything that says exactly. It just, I'll beat the same um, thing over and over again. Like, it's a pretty good song, but I just can't or like was not getting into it ever really enough to be like excited to be re-listening to this yeah so um yeah pete i'll tell you what i think of this album first um i think it's really mediocre um (laughs) and i was expecting more from like janice joplin's first album Mm -hmm. and like i understand that she didn't really have like creative control it's not really her band mm-hmm. but um like it, it makes me excited for when we get into her solo stuff where she can be more creative and even the next album because mm-hmm. this like album i every time i listen to it like after those first two songs i was like just kind of bored like yeah. it was very middle of the road and i I don't think like I don't think it's bad. It's not egregious. There's no song on here I'm like fuck that song. <laughs> but it's all like well maybe blind man. Yeah, maybe. But you know like No, light is faster than sound. That's the one. That's the one that's fuck yeah. that song. <laughs> um but like I don't know. It's just like I think I don't know. I think it was okay. 
yeah. I think that's an exceedingly fair <laughs> judgment of it. I, uh, I mean, like I said, um, when we talked about it, I was like head over heels for Bye Bye Baby and Call On Me. I was so into those songs and like loved everything about her voice on them, the song style, the, you know, the way everything worked. But the rest of the album, I listened to it a lot. I've been doing a lot of like driving this week. So I had a lot of good time to just kind of like, like I just put it on and then when it ended, I'd put it on again and, Mm -hmm. you know, listen to it a lot over a couple of days, but it's such a short album that I could listen to it a lot. And then, but then pretty immediately was just like, I'm good. I get it. I, I like, I yeah. under, there's not like depth here to get into no. the more you listen or anything. There's not like, and it just sounds so. flat. Yeah. Like, so it's not yeah. even like there's interesting things going on in the production. Like, yeah. Ooh, I didn't catch that last time. You right. catch it all the first time. So, and- yeah. So I don't know if I would say I was disappointed. I was surprised more than anything else because I, you know, I'd only known a couple of Big Brother songs, so I was expecting it to be a lot of that. I was surprised at how diverse the sound was and at how many different like types of songs were on here. I was also surprised right. at how much she wasn't just the lead singer. Um, yeah. So I was definitely surprised and, you know, like Call On Me loved and I think partially loved just because she wasn't the only singer on that and everything. So um, mm-hmm. there's definitely some good to this album, but it's all in all kind of a rough start for big brother and also yeah does not seem quite like the showcase for her voice that that ev- that you were explaining yeah. at the beginning but, yeah so here's the thing and i'm though. thinking maybe she would like killed it live or something i think she would I, I think it's a little bit part of just the time we were in where like a lot of the like initial impressions of her was basically it was basically just we've never heard a white person sing like a black person kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Which is a lot of stuff from Elvis, you know, on forward. That's a lot of how, um, a lot of white artists have gotten popular <laughs> is they appropriate and are impressive. And in this time, especially when like, as we've talked about this entire podcast so far, the white blues are a huge thing in the sixties. And so having this woman who can sing like crazy, I forget who she was compared to a lot. Bessie is Bessie May a person? I think so. I think that's who she was compared to a lot. Um, but just being compared to, you know, like these amazing Bessie May Smith. Yeah. Soul singers who have these incredible voices. So like I don't want to say a novelty. She was her voice is more than that. But just at the time, that was kind of enough, I think, a little bit to like get them famous. But the Monterey Pop song that we heard uh was written like after this album was out. Or, you know, and so I think, yeah, I think it it definitely took them a little while to find what was special about the band. It seems like they're still figuring it Mm -hmm. out on this album. What are we actually, what do we, should we even focus on? Like, what's important for us to be writing songs to to feature and everything? I I think it's, I mean, it's not the most impressive freshman album of all time, Mm -hmm. but it's not bad. Yeah. Um, it's not terrible. It's no, I mean, it's not Hendrix's first album, you know, because yeah. that fucking, oh, Jesus Christ. But, um, you know, it's also not like the Beach Boys or the Stones' first album where it's just yeah. like, no. Yeah, that's you true. Know? Um, it's, it's pretty good for a first album because most first albums suck. Yeah, that's true. And, um, yeah, but like we talked about earlier, not one that I am uh, 
I wish I went out of my way to download before we started listening. Exactly. <laughs> like I'm good. I can I, throw Bye Bye Baby and Call on Me on a playlist and be happy. Um, what would yeah. you like to rate Big Brother and the Holding Company featuring James <sighs> Probably a five out of ten. Ooh, that's kind of high. Well, like I was saying, it's very yeah. middle of the road. It is. Like it's not. I know. I was. I was just going to be a little harsher than that, but mostly. I mean, I was just thinking about it a little more like what actually stood out to me on this album, and it was basically just that it was different than I was expecting, but it wasn't like different good. It was just different. You well, know? I don't know. My thing is it's not bad. It's just boring. Yeah. Um, I kind of so think it's that's like, worse, though. Like, I would rather... <coughs> where was I reading about this? This Like, oh, yeah, I was reading... Pff, fucking video game reviews and someone was talking about like they'd rather play a bad game that like tried to do something interesting than just a mediocre well-made game yeah and it's like i think a little i'm feeling a little bit that way here where it's like i guess i wish they had like tried to be a little it feels like they were told like we need to make this a hit so write songs that people like right now like yeah and they tried to cover all their bases a little bit there whether it was on them or on mainstream records or whoever that was you know whoever's decision that was but it feels like they weren't playing like music that they did basically you know like i i doubt that yeah. this is what a it, big it brother seems... concert would have sounded like maybe intruder or something would have been on there but yeah. it would have been like more jammy or i don't know right it seems a little bit disingenuous yeah <laughs> so i think i was gonna go four i guess okay it's just i'm just i yeah yeah. I was very I mean, surprised by it. It was definitely a left left turn from where I was expecting to go, and I loved those two songs, but all in all I mean I I'm thought it was gonna be I way think. better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Especially because their next album is their is like I think Janis Joplin's most famous album, at least as far as I know. The it's second supposed Big to be album. Th- yeah, and it's supposed to be one amazing. of the greatest albums. So like so. I wasn't expecting them to be such slow starters when the album that comes out next year for them is gonna be like top of the charts. So I mean hey, a lot of people's best album is their second album. True, yeah, because they're finding out who they are here and then they get, you know, better on the next one, get a better recording studio and everything. So Yeah. Well, PJ, any final thoughts on the the early life and debut album of Janis Joplin. I am excited to get into Janis Joplin, like more into the next stuff, but I'm a little bit disappointed we had to start here. <laughs> yeah, I am too, because it still feels like, even though she has some impressive vocals on this album, it does not feel like we're listening to the Janis Joplin who you like, yeah, like you watch YouTube videos of when you're in junior high being like, oh, she's one of the greatest singers of all time, like. We haven't gotten there yet, so I'm very much looking forward to the next record. Me too. And, you know, it's supposed to be very, very, very good. Oh, a little sad, sad outro. Well, Pete. Well, PJ. I'll see you next time at the Crossroads, man. And I'll see you, um, my big brother, at the... When that company... Stops holding. Yeah, what is the holding company? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. Well, I'm sure we'll find out next week on the 27 Club. Oh, that's how we should end all of them. <laughs> we'll find. Just ask a question, a dumb, meaningless yeah. question. We'll find out next week. <laughs> nice.
A Beach Boys Boys production. See, my thing is, I think I just don't like these two other guys because they're (laughs) both like lazy pieces of shit. And I know you're not, so. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's the nicest thing I've ever said to you. (laughs) You're not a lazy piece of shit. (laughs) PJ, you know, yeah, that's when you... (laughs) When you uh, did a toast at our wedding, the <laughs> the best toast of the night was PJ saying, and I know, and I know Pete's not a lazy piece of shit, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. yeah.